Welcome back, The Lighter Side, Joe Grammatico and Tom Kaliopoulos. And today we're going to recap the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2020. Tom, how you doing? Hey, Joe. Glad to be here. Uh, glad. Uh, nice topic we're doing tonight. Uh, it's always good to talk about players who are, uh, you know, finally being bestowed an honor uh, from their peers and getting enshrined into the class of uh, 2020 for these Hall of Famers. Uh, it's a pretty big honor and uh, a fun show and discussion. Yeah, so we'll get to it. The uh, Hall of Fame class, uh, you had uh, five inductees, I guess, led by first ballot Hall of Famers, Jerome McGinley and Marion Hosa. Uh, and then you have in there uh, a longtime... Euler Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, Kim uh, St. Pierre from uh, the female Team Canada, and then in the builders category, uh, Ken Holland. It's a pretty impressive class all around uh, from top to bottom, unlike the, the 2019 class, which I thought was pretty underwhelming. Yeah, you know, Joe, you got two uh, uh, first-year eligible guys. Uh, and you also got two guys that have waited 20 years. Mm -hmm. And a couple of these guys are they're being questioned on, uh, you know, maybe there should have been other another two players that were in their place. And we'll discuss that, too, as well. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about Jerome McGinley. Uh, the thing I like about Jerome McGinley is he's always been a consistent, tough player, always – Always been a, a, a hard guy to play against. Um, always demanded the other team's top defensive pair to shut him down. And right there, when you have that, and then you still put up 625 goals and 675 assists in your career in a 1,554 total games, which meant he was consistent and a good pro, always prepared himself season in and season out. The dude logged 19 minutes and 44 seconds of time on ice throughout his career, which is, that's, uh, that's a pretty tough thing to do, Joe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's, he's got a, he's a six-time All-Star. He's won two Maurice Richard trophies. He's won a Mark Messier Leadership Trophy. Uh, he's won an Art Ross Trophy, Ted Lindsay Award, King Clancy Memorial Trophy. Uh, the only knock I have on him, Joe, is no cup. Right. That's uh, that's the kicker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing you get away with that though, when you have the numbers he had. If you're in the 600 goal plateau, I think you can you can put away the cup uh, concept of not winning it. Right. Uh, I think with those numbers, you can do that. Well, yeah, and, and, the, and the teams, yeah. yeah, and and they look at your body of work in, in hockey as a whole. So when you got uh, you know a couple World Junior Championships, uh, a World Championship, and uh, was a two-time Olympic gold medalist, yeah, that, that you can ex can can be excused for not winning the Stanley Cup. Right, he had a good international career as well, like you said, and that did take a little bit of the uh, of the luster of not winning a cup you know, out of the picture, out of the spotlight. So, uh, but I, you know, Jerome McGinley was always one of these players that um, you would want him as your teammate. And, uh, you know, I just remember, you know, him always talking about Nick Lidstrom frustrating him and, you know, and guys like that. But, I mean, it, it takes a guy like Nick Lidstrom to shut Jerome McGinley out of playoff series and uh, it tells you how good Lidstrom was. But, uh, I don't have a problem with Jerome McGinley making this. Uh, there's still a list, Joe, a bevy of forwards uh, and pl or just players in general, you know, that I'm looking that have yet to make the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I guess you can't make the argument, you know, that any of them could replace this guy because 
you know, yeah, the cup thing is is still looming, but I'm sure, you know, he's the he's the Charles Barkley of hockey, basically. You right. Know, that's how I, I'm gonna label Jerome and Ginla because uh, both Hall of Famers and uh, no championships. Right. Right. The, now the next guy, Marion Hosa. When uh, Zach and I did our show in the fall. Uh, after the 2019 induction ceremony, we talked about who would make it in. And at that time, I said Hosa would more than likely be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But me personally, I didn't think he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Why is that, Joe? I I I look back, obviously he had the, the three Stanley Cups, two or three, yes. after he went to mm-hmm. Chicago. He scored 500 goals. He played with a you know three four three different teams. Um, he obviously had some international, but I looked at it just from his individual. He was never, I thought, the premier scorer. He wasn't a, a fifty goal scorer. He was never a league leader. Uh, he never won, even though he was you know talked about as being a two way player. He never won. Uh, the trophy uh, as the league's top, you know, you know two-way player. Um, so yeah, I, I thought I, I thought he probably would end up being a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I thought there was you probably could give that spot to somebody that's been waiting, you know, for for a longer time and, and make Hosa wait a couple of years. Okay, that's an interesting point because you know it, it's like it's weird because you, you know you can make the argument now some people. People look at that, and I believe his goal-scoring uh, numbers could have been a lot higher. Okay, I believe, you know, if this guy would have, so he could have went either way. Like he's the poster boy uh, for basically uh, epitomizing consistency as a player. So if there's any anybody that I would say who's your who's a consistent superstar in the game, I would probably list Marion Hosa because he did everything really well. Mm-hmm. The problem is he he never like like he never was on teams where like 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 he would if he asserted himself more as just a goal scorer, Joe, and maybe took a little bit of shine off his defensive play. Mm-hmm. Because you know, he, he constantly was in the top five in the NHL of picking picking um opponents pockets in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Take takeaways. Uh, if, if he didn't focus so much on that aspect, maybe, or being responsible defensively, um, I believe that guy probably could have had, because you're looking at three, 1,309 games mm-hmm. played, okay? And he has 525 goals, okay? So he's he's basically not quite at the one goal every two, you know, two games. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this guy could have easily had another 150 goals in his career. Mm-hmm. If he would have maybe laid off the defensive aspect a little more, but he was so good at both and balanced that I think it took away from his goal totals. But yet he was such a decent offensive player that I think he didn't. It's hard to explain, but he he didn't fully sell out, or he could have been a sulky winner probably every year if he wanted to be because he was that smart. Right. So I think it was one of them where he got caught in uh, as a tweener, I guess would be a good term for him. Right. Where he did everything so well that it almost is a punishment based on what you're saying. Right. Um, right. You know, he, I mean, come on, Joe, he was 245 in the plus minus. I mean. He was, yeah. Know, he was only minus one season his last year in Atlanta when he got traded uh, to Pittsburgh. Yeah, and and. You know, Pittsburgh really, when the, the teams he played on at Pittsburgh weren't really known as defensive teams, like shutdown teams. They would pretty much outscore you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, they had some good players that would, would fill those roles, but as a team concept, they never were one of the great defensive teams to win cups mm-hmm. or, or, or make long playoff runs, I should say, in his case, because mm-hmm. he won all his cups with Chicago, I believe. Yes. But but even though Chicago teams didn't really shut you down, like, say, Detroit teams did or other cup winners of past years, like the Islanders um, or the Canadians, but 
you know, I, this guy was six foot one. He could skate. He was 207 to 210 pounds. He played 18 and a half minutes a game his whole career. And, you know, uh, also another interesting stat on him, he's a five-time All-Star, but he was the first Senator player to be drafted, Joe, um, in the hall, okay? Mm-hmm. And the only and he's and he's the only other player, him and Hoshik, uh were the only two that are post nineteen ninety two expansion senators to enter the hall. I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But good player and uh I think the only regret he has is not winning another cup with Detroit. Right. Uh that would have been nice for his resume, you know? Yes. Yeah, that was he played well that postseason in '09, but it, it he did only he got outshined by you know guys like Franzen, Zetterberg, Datsuk. Uh, and I think that was I don't want to say the mistake because you never know what Franzen would have been without those concussions. Um, but you know they played well enough, and Hosa wasn't that big of an impact player, so they, you know they elect to give the money to Franzen, and yeah, then Hosa wins the cup the following year with Chicago. Yeah, and didn't Hosa shortly thereafter retire anyway because he, he, he came played, out. It seemed like it was it, but he got one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine years. One, two, three, four, yeah, five, nine six, years after seven, Detroit. Eight. He played eight years with Chicago after he left. I know it seems like it happened right away, but he put in seemed eight like, seasons. Yeah, he played three or four years, and then he was done because he got that. I thought the last couple of years were hit or miss, though, because he had some illness with his skin or something, didn't he, or? Yeah, he had. Uh, I don't remember condition. what it's called, but he did have a, a skin condition. Like gunk or something. Yeah, I don't know what it was called either, but it, it it's it's some nerve condition or something. I'm not sure, but it ended up ending his career, and uh, it's a shame because he could have put up bigger numbers. I still think he's a player that maybe fell short in the goal total with his explosive speed and uh, man, could he skate? And he could shoot it too. He had he had. Uh, the only other player that I think could rival arm strength with Brett Hall and Gordy Hall would be this guy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, great player, and uh, you know, it's the way it goes. Yeah, he's definitely more deserving to be in the Hall of Fame than uh, guys that I've seen get in. So yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I just didn't, uh, and I figured he would be. But if I would have had. If I would have been one of the voters, I wouldn't have uh, given him. I don't even know how they do it. If they how they rank it out, but yeah, he wouldn't have been at the top of my picks. Maybe some of these, maybe some of these snubs that I'm going to be mentioning in a little bit here, maybe uh, some of those you you probably would uh, take the place of Hosa. But uh, who's the next guy on the list, Joe? The next guy is a girl, Kim St. Pierre. She's a Hall of Fame member. Sorry, what was that? We're going to jump into a little girls hockey now, huh? Yeah, I'm just going down through the list from the the posting. So you got Kim St. Pierre. Um, right. She's got quite a few gold medals. I think five world championships and three from the Olympics, maybe? Yeah, she got two Clarkston Cups, too, Joe. And uh, she's basically one of the few women's players that have that. She's got that. Uh, they call it the prestigious trifecta in women's hockey, you know, and basically you mentioned two of them and I gave you the third one, but yeah, Kim St. Pierre is a great goalie. Um, uh, I think she's out of the Quebec area and basically, uh, she's the all time leader in games, wins and shutouts for Canadian hockey when she retired. And I believe she's also the second goalie think to appear in an NHL, uh, on an NHL team roster, just albeit a brief one, wasn't it? It was even quicker than the cup of coffee that Manon Rayon had with Tampa Bay. But I believe she appeared in some practices with the Montreal Canadiens. But still, uh, you know, she's a very good goaltender and uh, all the accolades. And it's good to, to, that they have a category here, Joe, for women's hockey because I've coached women's uh, girls hockey for years and and uh, probably seven or eight years, and I have coached a few girls that if they continue to keep the Olympic uh, women's hockey as a sport, uh, you may see a few of them in the in the 
in competing in those tournaments because uh, you know I always contended that the girls were were different to coach, but uh, I always liked coaching them because it seemed like they never had quality coaches, and I and I end up finding out that they're very coachable and they kind of just do what you tell them to do, mm-hmm. and uh, and they they develop really well and they're really a sticklers for uh, detail, just like you'd see in the WNBA with the women's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you won't see slam dunks or anything like that, but you know, they're very very proficient at technique and fundamental right and uh, some of these girls that i had we could be boys teams you know uh for sure and um they were physical too so we went to tournaments in canada and we play in international silver sticks and you know i'm sure we played against a lot of canadian girls that played on these olympic teams and um through the years, and uh, we maybe even faced Kim St. Pierre. I'm not sure. I have to look at old rosters, sheets, and stuff. But uh, no, the girls' hockey is uh, is special, and it was actually one of my favorite aspects of the All Star Skills Competition this year. Right. Actually, it was was the the uh, favorite part for me was that three on three they did uh, with the women's. It 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 kind of kind of uh, overtook anything that the the men's skills competition presented and uh i was happy for them and it's good to promote the sport and eventually you're going to see a women's pro sports league we're getting close there's there's leagues forming right now and drafts and players being picked from uh, small colleges here in the states but I'm not really sure where they're going to be showcasing their uh, their league uh there's a whole title nine thing going right now and then you got the they want to be paid the same as men, which is, you know, I'm going to speak to people on behalf of that and say they need to stop doing that because they're going to price themselves right out of any competition or league or any ownership uh, availability that they may have. So they better just come in like the WNBA did and kind of grow their game first. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's supply and demand, I, mean, I would like to see them play. I think I mentioned this to you before on past shows, maybe playing before NHL games. So whatever city has a women's hockey league team, right? Um, they can kind of be a sister team of the pro team that they're housing out of mm-hmm. and just play right before, maybe three hours before, you know, the pro game. Right. That's a- so. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like uh, I like that they started adding the female hockey in at the Olymp or at the Olympics at the uh, All Star Games, so that you can really see you know the skill that these female hockey players have because you don't get to see it a lot. You see it in the Olympics every four years, and I don't know what kind of ratings it draws, but they play some great hockey, and and I know quite a few people that are hockey fans that roll their eyes when you mention women's hockey, but uh, they're missing out because those the U.S. Canada women's hockey games are nothing to to shake your head at. That's for sure. They're great games, and then the but the only problem they're having right now, Joe, is the it's just getting the the numbers is really creating um, like attrition, I guess you could say, between solid programs. So really, you're only. You know, other teams are starting to get better. I noticed that in the past Olympics, but they're still way behind Canada and the U.S. and right. and Sweden. And uh, you have other teams that are coming up now, like fin- Finland and Switzerland, and teams like that are getting better. And hopefully, Germany, with uh, their explosion in the men's game, hopefully that the females are are getting their just due too. And uh, maybe it's uh, that's how that happens, but. Uh, for that to sustain, I made the comment earlier, and hopefully it continues. You got to have more than three teams uh, uh, that are that are uh, quality programs to watch. And uh, as you said, it, trust me, the games were very entertaining uh, when I watched those three teams compete against each other. Uh, just they got to get more more teams to be competitive for it to really take off. Right. Number the next person, uh, number four in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and and actually number five too. Two guys that have been waiting quite a long time to get into the Hall of Fame, and I think both of these guys, if you put together 
uh, a list of the most underrated players of all time, they would both be pretty high up uh, in the top 10. I'll start with uh, Doug Wilson, uh, the helmetless Doug Wilson. He put up 237 goals, 827 points. He won a Norris Trophy in 1982. And he's one of those guys that played when other guys did offense just a little bit better. Paul Coffey and Ray Bork. And you know Doug Wilson's a defenseman that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, Joe, and you said it. He played in an era where, you know, he probably got uh, over overshined by those guys, the names you just mentioned. Uh, he played on a Chicago team that was competitive. But, you know, once they got out of their division, nobody really took them serious. So when it came to the playoffs, uh, this guy could shoot the puck probably better than anybody. Uh, him and uh, what the guy, um, trying to think, Al McGinnis, two of the guys that, and Reed Larson back in the day that could really bring it from the blue line. And uh, Doug Wilson, to me, was always better at getting his shot off than most. Even though teams knew he had a cannon, he was a power play threat. Uh, good enough defensively. He was a plus 55. Uh, he ranks in the top 20 all-time scoring defensemen. But he doesn't get much accolades. And uh, he's getting a lot of fanfare as being a very solid GM. Uh, good hockey mind, and uh, why it took 20 years for this guy to get in, I'm not really sure, but uh, I don't know. I just uh, It's a big question mark to me. However, I, I still think with all those accolades we mentioned that I think there could have still been some players that were snubbed in previous years mm-hmm. that were still maybe maybe should get the nod over this guy. Yeah, here's a... A fun fact on Doug Wilson, he he retired uh, when he ended his career. He was in the top 20 all-time in defensive points. Um, right. But up until this year, when he got the, the nod to be in the Hall of Fame, he was the only player in NHL history to win a Norris Trophy and end his career in the top 25 in defense scoring and not be in the Hall of Fame. So yeah. now yeah. Doug Wilson is in. He's in. He doesn't have to worry about that yeah. anymore. And, it, he might, you know, like I said, oops, I, was, I was gonna say he might get in in the future on the builder side with the work he's doing, uh, the work he's done his career as a general manager. Yeah, and that would be quite a feat too, because I'm sure you're gonna see the way some of these players are uh, are are uh, turning to coaching now, like Dale Hunter and stuff. Uh, you you might see that, you know, maybe a handful of players like that. Uh, you know, have both of those accolades, which would be something in itself, you know? Yeah, he's put together, I think he's still the GM for the Sharks. Sorry, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, since 2003. And they, uh, he's put together some pretty competitive teams over there for quite a few years. They, they're they always in the mix. They had a rough year this year, but they're always a, yeah. a, a tough team to play against, and they make some pretty deep runs. I still didn't agree with the trade where he tried to acquire Carlson. I, I, I still contend that, you know, and Carlson is a talent. Don't get me wrong, Joe, but just not one of my favorite defensemen because he's so loose and uh, um, he's feast or famine, you know, and he really gets caught up on the play a lot. And I don't know, I saw him and Brett Burns in the same top four, you know, I just thought that's a recipe for disaster. And now you get – you know, you, you you figure they could have had a, geez, what do they got, a third-round pick they had to give up, you know, to Ottawa for that trade mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. for the draft. And yeah, it's the like third overall. Yeah, yeah and, and there's really, like, they're questioning Carlson still being with the program. I mean, they're looking at maybe shopping him, and uh, I don't think there's going to be any takers because that's a hefty contract. So it's one of the things, uh, you know, I guess you, you're GM long enough, you're going to make mistakes, and uh, – uh, it's uh, hopefully you have enough good moves that you know people don't remember you for that one bad one. Yeah. The the next guy, uh, an opposite, a stay-at-home defenseman, and uh, I, I mentioned it with Yari Curry. He's another one of the forgotten Oilers from the '80s. Kevin Lowe gets into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, and. <laughs> 
had a buddy texting me the other day, and geez, if you're listening, I mean, uh, he's sitting there telling me uh, Kevin Lowe doesn't deserve to be in, and you know, I disagreed with him. I, you know, this guy, yeah, he played with uh, probably five of the top players in the in the world in the better part of the '80s at the time. But this guy was, like you said, very underrated. Did everything really well, and he was really a stabilizing force to um, get the Oilers to where they needed to be as far as um, getting a balanced system in place to, to win tight games because they didn't have that the first few years and it cost them in the playoffs and they realized hey they're going to have to win two to one and three to two if they're going to you know supersede the islanders and end their uh their cup uh dynasty okay and they did that and it was mainly because of this guy I mean, and you look at him, Joe, and you, if you look at his career stats, especially with the Oilers in the 80s for a good nine years, even when Gretzky left, uh, and they won that cup in 91, I believe, uh, these, this guy played, always played like between 77 and 80 games. Mm-hmm. And um, he's durable. And he, he was a plus 260 uh, playing with different players, some offensive-minded to the point where he was a lone guy back there. Broke up a lot of two-on-ones. He's a great, timely shot blocker. Uh, just a good player out of the Quebec League. Um, played with the Quebec Ramparts. And here's an interesting stat about this guy, Joe. In 1979, he was taken 21st overall out of 21 teams by Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a basically a draft where they had nine defensemen that were taken out of the 21 picks, from Ray Bork to Brad McCrimmon, and I could list all the rest of them too, and you would know their names because all of them had long careers. Rob Ramage was number one Rob that Ramage. pick. Yeah. Okay. So and, and even he had a long career, even though he was uh, mainly underachieved, but it was probably mainly because he played for, I think, Colorado and other teams that weren't that good. But uh, but every one of those defensemen in that draft had long careers, and they were different style defensemen, but Kevin Lowe had six cups. Yep. I think the only one that had a cup on that list out of all those D combined were was Ray Bork, and it was basically a charity cup. Hate to tell you that, Boston yeah. fans. <laughs> yes, but but it, it, you know I I didn't like seeing him win that cup because of that. I'd rather have seen him stick it out in Boston and try and win it there, or, or just die trying. But you know he had six cups come and more than any of those combined eight other defensemen who were pretty decent defensemen. Uh, with careers. So people can sit there and say, you know, Kevin Lowe, he was just a benefit of playing at the on the right team at the right time. But trust me, he uh, he contributed plenty uh, to stabilizing that that defense. And people, they didn't give up a lot of goals all the time. And it was because of this guy. So uh, kudos to Kevin Lowe. Um, I think he's deserving to be there even though some people don't. Yeah, no, I'll agree. You need to have at least one person that's solid, stay-at-home defenseman and can allow Paul Coffey to be Paul Coffey and can allow Gretzky's and Messier's and McTavish, Curry, all those guys to to cheat, knowing that you're going to be back there and you're going to, you know, you're going to be in the right spot you're going to be staying at home and and they're going to you're going to buy time for the rest of them so you you need that um it's not the uh it's not the sexy job to have a lot of people are gonna there's a lot of people that probably don't even know who kevin lowe is and it's a shame because a six-time stanley cup champion uh that could make a good first pass and could play hockey the right way all the time this is a that's 79 draft. We should do a redraft on that 79 draft. There's a lot of people in this draft that played yeah, over 1,000 games. But, Joe, think about it. You know, <laughs> how, you, how you mentioned Doug Wilson 
who could eventually be in the builders category. This guy is a GM as well, uh, I think with the Rangers, right? Um, is, he, is he back with Edmonton now? He was... Who is he? He was assistant. He was a head coach for Edmonton. I don't know if he is. I know he is in the Builders. I think he is with the Oilers right now. Okay, I believe well, you're correct. He's got a lot of work to do. He doesn't have the. Uh, he hasn't had quite the competitive teams or the success as a GM that Doug Wilson has had to this point. But I think he could turn that around because he's a very smart, intelligent guy. And uh, and you're right. Uh, you know, you you had he had to sacrifice some of his game. Uh, and basically, he's got probably three times more odd man rushes coming at him than your normal defenseman playing on those Edmonton Oilers teams, especially early in his career. And he seemed to sustain pretty well and maintain and allow composure and his intelligence to uh, carry through to the rest of the team, the Randy Greggs and the uh, the, the Charlie Huddies and guys like that, and Lee Fogelin, sure he learned a lot from him. Um, just to, to to learn to be like stable until they figured it out. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Lowe to me was the ringleader of all that, and uh, like I said, kudos to him. Yeah, the last entrant into the 2020 class is in the builders category in the long time. Red Wings, Detroit Red Wings general manager Ken Holland, now the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, Kenny, man, I'm kind of sour on Kenny right now. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we, we, Joe, we're watching the Red Wings go through a tough time, and, you know, people are blaming Kenny Holland. And, you know, I think some of it is valid, you know, you know but you, you, can't, you can't look away from the success he's had and what he's done for the franchise. Um, he's 22 years as a GM, 36 in all, you know, in the sport, you know, basically as a goaltender and a scout as well. Uh, played in the Red Wings system as a goaltender. Not a very good one, but uh, but anyway, uh, he was became a good scout uh, when the Wings started revamping. I'm not sure when his first year was. If you do the math, Joe, what does that come out to be? Being that you're the nerd out of the two of us and you, with your spreadsheets and everything, you have anything right there as far as the numbers? For his first year as GM? I believe yeah. it was the 96 season. I can look it up real quick. Yeah, see now, I kind of question, I kind of question his success in a sense because... I don't know. I almost think that a lot of this was built. I, I think Devilano, who's already in the hall, correct? Yes. All right. He, you know, this basically, this guy to me is riding the coattails of Devilano, and he he rode that crest. Now, I'm not saying Kenny Holland didn't make good moves, okay? But he 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 benefited for without having to deal with a, a CBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once that hit, uh, you saw he struggled a little bit, okay, with contracts. Right. So I question his ability in that regard, okay? Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what Iserman does with Detroit because he did learn under Holland a little bit after he retired before he went to Tampa. Right. I'm not saying Kenny was a total bust as a GM, but a Hall of Fame caliber GM, I'm not so sure. Um, sure, the cup wins helped that. Yeah, he did. More, well, yeah, he... I'm disappointed with his 2000. You know, I, I worried about the contracts he signed, and I thought that might be a, what he'd be noted for as opposed to bringing some free agents in that wanted to play with Hall of Fame lineups. It was a no-brainer for a lot of these guys, like Robitaille, Paul, and and Vernon, guys like that. I mean, he orchestrated the odd deal, but, man, he gave up a lot of uh, second-round picks and draft picks to do it. A lot of first-round picks, too, during that time to bring people in at the deadline and not – not all of them worked out. Um, no. Yeah, I think 
I was going to ask you that about the the start of his career because his first year was 97. Uh, and the Wings won the Stanley Cup 97 and in 98. Um, the cover was when he came right, here. Right. You know, it's Brian Murray, if anything. He rode, he rode off at that guy. So I believe, I don't know, who was the GM before Kenny Holland? I think uh, I think at some point Jimmy Devolano, I want to say it was 94 or 95, Devolano was promoted up to like VP of hockey operations, and then Scotty Bowman was doing coach and GM, or they were both splitting the responsibilities. But Scotty Bowman had GM responsibilities as well as coaching for a period of time there before Holland was promoted. So yeah, either like, Devolano or Bowman, whoever you want. Either one, it doesn't matter. I mean, the cupboard was full, and really, you just—it's almost like you're stepping into a like a business that's already up and running. Just don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Anything, you know. I think he did a good job of uh, maybe managing egos, but I still—that's Bowman right. more than him. For and then you got Babcock doing the same thing. So with his strong personality. So really, I mean, I'm not so sure I agree with this Hall of Fame builders category for this guy. I just, you know, we'll, we'll see what he what he's made of with Edmonton, what yeah. he can do with that. Well, he'll if, get you know, he'll get credit for sure uh, uh, even if you give the 97 and 98 to Devilano, um he'll get credit for 2002 for putting that super team together and then I think he'll get a lot of credit uh, for finding, and I know it's the scouting, but he's they all report into him. So those scouts over in Europe that brought all those Swedes over, and they became Swede and European heavy into 2008, 2009, and those two deep runs. So I think that's, as far as the building category, it's probably where he's going to get the bulk of his credit from 2002 to 2009, and then he's going to get credited for the bulk of that 25-year playoff streak. Yeah, and that's a to me that he had nothing to do with the Russian Five. That's why I brought their name up. Right. Um, he was more, like you said, more the Swedish movement there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the twenty-five year playoff run. I know it, you to hate me, that. A lot of it, I know you hate the I hate playoff it. run. I, I hate it because the teams weren't even built to win a Stanley Cup. And uh, that's the problem I have with the whole builders category uh, nominee for him. And uh, he's done more to ruin the franchise than anything. And I know you're not going to be spot on every year as a GM, but, but man, some of the contracts he, he gave Abdocator and, and uh, Helm, and he, he, I don't blame the Franzen contract necessarily because, you know, Franzen was – you know, maybe I, the duration of it, maybe I do, but uh, you know, it's hard uh, nowadays for for GMs to get these players to in under three year contracts. It's just they they either want four or five or seven. Um, you know, but I, I think he could have did a better job uh, valuing his players for the proper worth. The uh... Uh, but right now it's handcuffing Iserman. And he handcuffed himself. That's why, and Babcock saw that. That's why he wanted out. Uh, don't let it fool you. It's not just the players wanted him out. He wanted out himself. And uh, I'm surprised he went to Toronto, which was, to me, a hotbed for him that, you know, he, I think he probably probably overstepped his boundary as far as a challenge there. I think he would have been better suited leaving Detroit and going somewhere else. But I think he put too much worth into his own his own ability as a coach uh, with the modern day player. It's just didn't jive in Toronto with all those young guys. Yeah, the first so, first trade Holland ever made. Do you know who it was? Uh, Mike Vernon. Yep, he traded Vernon and a, a fifth round pick, which would have been a future considerations fifth round pick at the time for two second round picks. And he told, I guess he uh, was, uh, as I read, Vernon texted him, congratulations on the hall nod. And he called Vernon back and told him that if he if he had to go back, he never would have made that trade. And he would have made him and Osgood 
battle it out for for the top spot and, and kept the goalie depth. You realize if he wouldn't have made that trade, he pro- who did he get for that trade? What you, you mentioned it right? Two second a, a second round pick in ninety eight and a second round pick in ninety nine, which ended up being Maxim Linick and Sheldon Keefe, so two guys that never played a game of hockey for the Red Wings. They picked Sheldon Keefe up. Yeah. Okay, he's the coach of Toronto right now. That Sheldon Keefe? I don't know if it's the same one. Yeah, it could be if he came, if he played with the Barry Colts. It was, I'll, I'll check it out. Let's see. Yeah, do that. But what I'm saying is that that trade cost the Wings possibly another cup or two. You know how they had that span in between uh, 97 and um, even though they won the cup the following year. It probably cost them because uh, Vernon was a solid goalie. Mm-hmm. He was a competitor, and when Osgood wasn't going, but before they got Hoshik, when did they get Hoshik? Right the year that they was won the, the two thousand two. Yep. So you had that maybe two thousand and one and two thousand season. Uh, I think they might have been vying for a cup if they would have kept Vernon again. They didn't have Cujo then, did they? No. No, so I think they a nice tandem. I think instead of, you know, having Ozzy and then uh, who else you had? Uh, well, Ticker. They, yeah, Hodson was in there and Bill Ranford and, yeah. The guys probably take you there to where they were at in their careers, but uh, that probably did cost Detroit one more cup at least. I'll be fair to say that. Yeah, so Detroit, that Sheldon Keefe. That Sheldon Keefe that we was that would have been our ninety nine second round pick, Sheldon Keefe, Detroit didn't make that pick. They traded it to Tampa at some point. Um so Tampa made that pick, but that is the Sheldon Keefe uh that's the coach in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, he was a good I saw him play in junior. Uh he was a feisty player and uh, I remember him taking runs at Dave Leguan in a o- in the in the All Star game, the OHL All Star game it was played over in uh Sarnia. So I, I, I got invited over there because Neil Armstrong was a, an honorary official uh, for the game, uh, like a captain role. He was an old-time NHL referee and became a scout for Montreal, and he's the one who drafted me and gave me some tickets to that game. And, uh, you know, and I'll never forget watching Leguan because he was kind of this cocky, gross point kid playing with Plymouth, kind of had an attitude. And I never saw it, but Spezza and guys like that were running them in the All-Star game. <laughs> nobody really liked Leguan. Right. Sheldon Keefe was this tiny little guy, you know, and just like, never saw it before. You know, he literally left his feet at Leguan during an All-Star game, right in, right in Plymouth Arena. Or, or not Plymouth, but Sarnia Arena. Sarnia's thing play. Uh, it's the funniest thing. Funniest thing in the, I've ever seen. <laughs> But yeah, but Kenny Holland, uh, I, I don't know, but Joe, I'm just not feeling it. I, I, you know, there's some good that he did, I guess, but man, not for to me. Just, I don't know. Yeah, for me, it's one of those. He's still a GM. He's still working, so I don't even think he should be in the discussion. I mean, I know Scotty Bowman made it into the Hall of Fame, but he at least retired from hockey for a few seasons and was inducted during that time, and then he came back and coached. Um, but, yeah, he's he's still working, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Like, let him retire and, you know, spend some time at home with his family. Yeah. In that category, I mean, what – I mean, you, you couldn't find another builder. I mean, right. I mean what about Don Perry? Or somebody like that, you know. He, I mean, oh, I don't could know. Could you imagine if they would have put Don Cherry in this year that he got fired? That would have been great, but <laughs> would have been would have been great. But I don't know if it, it's necessarily a building category because right. really is a coach. He didn't really succeed all that much, and he's more noted for putting too many men on the ice in that one seventy nine series where they Boston got beat in Game Seven. But you know, and then obviously he's been a kind of a impact for with coach's corner all these years so i guess that could be counted as being a builder of some sort he's a big philanthropist guy even though he got fired for voicing his opinion on (laughs) a political topic but 
I don't, uh, I don't know, Joe. I, I just think there could have been a better, better person in the builder category than, than Kenny Holland. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, since I think he would have got in someday. Obviously, uh, this was the day, but uh, I would. Uh, I, he's still working, so that's all I'll say. He should shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame and still working. So uh, at least if he retired for a few years and came back, uh, that'd be okay with me. But yeah, they could looking, find someone. Hey Joe, how are we looking at for, for time on this right now? Uh, Show wise. We're probably about 40 minutes or so. You got something else you want well, we to bring got, up? Well, I'd, get, I'd like to run through some snubs really quick that I think still should be uh, probably could have been nominated this year real quickly, if you don't mind. All right, shoot, go. Let's go over the, the first pick I have, and not necessarily in this order, but you know, I'm not in any particular order, but Alexander Mogilny, uh, first Russian player to defect uh, in 89. Second all-time leading Russian scorer in the NHL. Uh, just unbelievable player. Made uh, first player to make an all-star team. First Russian to become a captain. He's made eight all-stars. Has Stanley Cup with New Jersey. Uh, gold in 1988 with Russia. And in his World Hockey Championship in 89. So he's got the trifecta there. Mm-hmm. So, not really sure why this guy isn't in the Hall of Fame, Joe. Yeah, I don't get that one. Uh, Alexander McGillney was uh, a real good hockey player. Um, yeah, I don't. To me, again, that's for me. That's he's like I said with Hosa. I I don't think Hosa was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think McGillney falls in that same category. He has a bunch of accolades, um, but was at least in my opinion was never like the premier. He wasn't winning Hart trophies, wasn't winning Selkie trophies. He, he didn't have the individual accolades to stand out that I think uh, you know first ballot Hall of Famer should have. And you know after a few years, you kind of fall off into oblivion and no one remembers you and I think that's what's happened to McGilney. Well it's a shame because I think a bad hip late in his career hindered his point production. Because you know he had over a thousand points but but I'm thinking he scored seventy six goals in one year, Joe. Mm-hmm. I mean I saw yep. him play with Lafontaine in Buffalo and he's just like this guy was on fire but like I said he, he, he didn't do it enough but he was good enough to warrant a Hall of Fame uh in my opinion, at least over Doug Wilson. Right. So I'm not getting that. I, I He's one of the snubs. Um, so that being said, let's move on to the second one, a guy you're familiar with, Daniel Alfredson. Uh, basically a great leader, seven-time All-Star. He won the Calder Trophy in 96. He's got a King Clancy Trophy. Uh, won Olympic gold with Sweden, silver in 2014. Just a great international career, but no cup. Right. So I think this, I don't think his numbers show enough like McGinley's. Mm hmm. Where that cut point is. So McGinley has no cup, but his numbers are way better than Alfredson. Right. Now, Daniel was a great player in Ottawa. I played in a small town there with a small market. I consider Ottawa a small market and uh, played with some competitive teams. And he's always a character guy and a fan favorite. But that doesn't warrant like to me the Hall of Fame is more of a it's a worldly honor nowadays because of the way the players are picked mm-hmm. in the NHL from all over. So it's it to me it's a it's more of it's not the NHL award, it's more of a world award. So I'm thinking maybe Alfredson should be in based on his uh his great international you know, resume. Right. Yeah. What's your take? No, I, I, I don't think in NHL-wise that he has the numbers, like you said, like a Ginla to where he can make up for not winning a Stanley Cup. He's a, obviously a good leader with Ottawa for many, many years. But, uh, yeah, for his international uh, awards and, and hardware that he's won and in international play, 
It's only a matter of time before he gets in. Was this his first first or second year that he was eligible? I don't think so. I don't know what year, but uh, he's he's yeah. been out of the game for a while now, I think, isn't he? Like since 2015 maybe? Yeah, I forget how many years no, you have to so wait. Good. Yeah, I don't know, man. But, it, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, he'll he'll be eventually be in, I think. But uh, I don't know. Looking at some of the players that didn't make it, like Bobby Smith and guys like that, you never know. Uh, hey, Joe, let's talk about the next player. Let's get through these. Uh, guy, uh, five foot six player, great international career. Um, X All Star eight times, uh, Stanley Cup in '89. He's won a gold in 2002. Finished with 1,088 career points. Okay. Now keep in mind, it's this is more than Korea, who's in the Hall, Bure, Forsberg, and Lindros. Mm -hmm. He scored more points than all these guys who are in the Hall of Fame. And his name is Theo Fleury. Now. I did this little thing where I did an error adjustment thing, so I, I, I ran into your uh, kind of numbers thing here. Yeah, you call me a nerd. You just did an adjustment. You did. An... <laughs> so I did, go ahead. Did an error Let's hear your adjustment. error adjustment. Let's go. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, it, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? But this guy had 84 points per 82 games. Okay, and I did the adjustment. Uh, based on since 1967 players and he's 36 best in that points per 82 games mm -hmm. ahead of players like Howard Chuck, Madano, Robitaille, Fedorov, Ronnie Francis, Gilbert Perot, Mark Recchi, Yari Curry, Shanahan, and I could go on and on. Right. But his ratio is better than all these players and he's not in the all uh, or hall of fame, Joe. Mm hmm. Why do you think? I have a take. Are you are you going to go because of his uh, off ice issues? Is yes, why he's not. Yes, I. Yes, I am. Yeah. This guy has got a checkered off ice pass, and it's a shame because I kind of and he's always been volatile towards reporters and stuff, and I kind of liken that to Mike Schmidt, was a. a third baseman for Philadelphia Phillies for all those years and uh, didn't get in the Hall of Fame because of his attitude. Um, basically labeled a dick <laughs> by the press. Right. But Theo Fleury, he's had substance abuse problems, uh, alcoholism, and it's really hindered his, his, his uh, basic persona. And it's a shame if that's what's going to keep him out of the Hall. But uh, I don't know if they merit character. Or if, you know, I guess Pete Rose is still out based on character and what he's done. Um, I guess the NHL maybe has a hard cr criteria as far as a person's character. But this guy meets all the on-ice mm -hmm. uh, criteria that you can think of. And uh, I just proved it with my great era adjusted. Uh, yep, there you go. <laughs> You know, uh, points yeah. for eighty-two teams scenario, but I'm just telling you, I'm not, uh, I'm not getting this. That's the only thing I could think of that's keeping him out, and uh, that would be a shame. Yeah, I mean, he scored what thirty plus goals seven, eight times, over fifty once, put up over a hundred points. He won the Stanley Cup. Would you say he won uh, some gold medal or gold medal in there too? I believe. Oh, um, he was a fan favorite, man. I yeah, mean, everyone loved Theron Fleury, except reporters and the league. Yeah, and, and maybe the team he was playing against that night. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, uh, Iserman, you know, uh, Team Canada thought enough of him to put him on the 2002 Olympic team with a lot of great character guys. So they felt they needed his energy. So that says something right there, too. So right. I'm just amazed he's not in there. Yeah, I almost amazed. It almost, always surprises it always surprises me some of the picks that they make because there are plenty of guys in the Hall of Fame that I don't think deserve to be in there and then you have a guy like Third Flurry that you just match up numbers and accolades side by side and like you said he blows he blows some of them away. 
he does. I don't want to end the show based on this right here, but I'm going to run through this. Uh, we're going to we're going to talk about a woman that I think should have joined uh, um, uh, Kim St. Pierre. Uh, her teammate uh, Jennifer Botterell. She was a solid collegiate and international ice hockey player. Played at uh, Harvard. Uh, she had 319 points in 113 career games at Harvard, which is incredible. She was one of four players to amass 100 or more points in a single NCAA campaign. She had three Olympic golds, five world championships for Canada, and she was a two-time MVP at those worlds. She had 174 points, Joe, in 184 games at the international level. She was a, basically a money player. Uh, always gave the United States fits. I remember watching her, and she basically should have been inducted alongside Kim St. Pierre um, as well. She was a two-time Patty Kazmaier Award, which is like the equivalent of uh, the Hobie Baker for the top U.S. college female ice hockey player. Uh, she should have been there, Joe. I don't know why they snubbed her, but um, I'm guessing you'll see her name maybe in the next class for next year. All right. Um, but that being said, uh, we're going to move on to two more players to, to round this out. I think uh, we'll talk about Mike Vernon since we brought his name up already. He has 385 wins, Joe, two cup wins. Everyone knows about the Red Wing one in 97 where he was the Conn Smythe winner. Um, but he also led the uh, uh, upstart Calgary team with uh, the sentimental favorite Lanny McDonald um, in 89 over Montreal. He was a 91 World Hockey uh, World Hockey Cup silver medalist with uh, Canada and a Williams Jennings Trophy winner with Osgood in 97. Um, he's a five-time All-Star. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, he's a money goalie, Joe. I'm not sure why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. Why? And I, the question I'd ask is, if he gets in, does that does Osgood get in as well? I think Ozzy should be, and I we we discussed that. I, I four hundred plus wins and his cups, and I don't know. He you know he's had some years where he wasn't always at his best, letting long shots in, and maybe making mistakes that cost Red Wings a short playoff run as opposed to a long one that they were projected to have, but. Um, Ozzy always came back and persevered and, you know, so yeah, I believe both of them guys should be in, um, Mike Vernon is a gamer. He's a winner. And yeah, I, I don't, I faced in the Memorial cup back in the, he was an overage Portland winter Hawks. I grabbed him, uh, and he played with, uh, with them as an overage pick. You get to play, pick one overage from another team to bring to the tournament. And they thought enough of Mike Vernon, the Portland Winterhawks, did to add him to their roster. So he's another, uh, ever since, he's another one that might uh, might be getting the snub because the media doesn't like him. Because I remember hearing stories that he didn't think female reporters should be allowed in the locker rooms. So he'd walk around butt naked to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Do you remember hearing that in his Detroit yeah, days? Yeah, he was your typical flaky goalie, and uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of stories about him. But you know, yeah, the, it, you never know. I mean, there's there's all these. Uh, our next player I want to talk about now that it'd be a perfect segue. You know, obviously he was a character, a colorful player, and he produced. But uh, fans loved him, you know, and uh, sure he wasn't an easy guy to play against. But uh, he did piss a lot of people off with his uh, his mouth. Uh, they love his personality, but sometimes what came out of his uh, his mouth would uh, be a detriment. And I think it might be the reason why he's being held off so far from being inducted. His name is Jeremy Roenick. Uh, Nine-time All-Star Joe, uh, 2002 silver medalist, won a, nine, a gold in the 1996 World Cup with U.S., over 1,200 points. Once again, another guy with no cup. Um, but, man, what a gamer. And uh, his numbers prove he should be in the cup. I think he has over 500 goals. He's a top 50 guy in penalty minutes, so he could play it any style. And, you know, just a great character. I think later in his career he, he kind of was more known for his Eddie Shack type 
antics than his uh, productivity. <laughs> uh, but this guy would always have serious injuries and play through them, and he, he epitomized the uh, uh, great team player, and he was never a reason why those Chicago teams didn't win cups. Um, uh, there was other other reasons for that, but uh, what a what a what a competitor! I mean, he he actually is a middleweight, and he took on Probert too, uh, so that says a lot. And uh, he would do anything to win. So right. why he isn't in the cup? I, I'm I'm attributing it to maybe his off ice antics as well. Yeah, that could be. He does have a big mouth, um, so I could see you know, some of those people that do the voting. I mean, they're they can be spiteful and. Yeah, Ronick's like he's he's missing out. I think other than missing out on the Stanley Cup, you know, not having a gold medal and you know either in the Olympics or in it wasn't a world championship. Was it a World Juniors championship? They won gold. Well, he won. No, he won. He won with that '96 World Cup, which is probably some of the finest hockey I've ever seen. Um, with the, the the competitiveness between. The uh, countries and uh, especially Canada and and the U.S. The, the rosters they had at the time were probably some of the best you'll ever see. And uh, I just remember that hockey being some of the best that I've ever seen, uh, uh, other than the '87 uh, tournament uh, that Canada won in uh, in um, Hamilton. Yeah, he's got. I don't think he's won any individual awards either. So that's another knock. Well, he, but. He's had like four times he's had over 100 points, but he's never won like an Art Ross or anything right. like that. Yeah, that's another um, another thing that's crucial. But again, if you compare him to some people that are in the Hockey Hall of Fame, he's a better player and better point producer, better leader than a lot of other guys you'll find in there. So it, it's tough to it's tough to figure out the criteria of what they're looking for when they vote on these guys. It is, Joe, and, you know, I I think he should have been in there before Lindros. Yeah. Okay. I think you'll agree yes. with me on that because uh, we're yes. both on that. But, yes. You know, he should be in there before maybe even Korea or, uh, or um, you know, some of the other players I mentioned too. But uh, I just, uh, you know, he's a Mark Recchi even. I think he should be in before him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, not to slight those guys. I think eventually, you know, they would get in, but I just think Ronick should have been in before them. And I'm not a huge Jeremy Ronick fan, but uh, you know I could always appreciate the the way he played the game. And you know he's he's still his mouth is still getting him in trouble. He's uh, I believe he's lost his job over with uh, NBC Sports. You know they've replaced him with Patrick Sharp now, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah because of comments he made, but other than that, I, I just. You can't take away from the player, and uh, you know I think more than likely him and Theo Fleury. Hopefully, they're inducted in the same class. That would be very apropos. That would be good. Yeah, we'll see what uh, see how that goes. It, uh, you just never know, and that's the the whole mystery. I don't quite understand. You know, when they these these people get together and and do the voting and. It's always you, know, you seem to always get a first ballot Hall of Famer in there at least one, and then you know they start going back and it's it's not like they ever do the right thing and see who's been waiting the longest and, and vote that way. It's, it's it's almost like you start picking and choosing your favorites and if it gets to that point, you know Jeremy guys like Jeremy Roenick and Mike Vernon. Uh, the Chris Osgoods, uh, even Rod Brendamores, guys that might be deserving, oh, yeah. aren't really anyone's favorite players, if you will, or favorite hey, Joe, people if they know them on a personal level. What's the criteria for that? Is it like I know baseball? Eventually, you you run out of opportunities. Like after a while, you're not considered anymore. Does the NHL have something like that? Would you know that or? Um, I don't know. Let's see if I can okay, find well, it quickly. Okay, if you can, if you can't, we'll have to bring that up at another time. But I, I do know there's a lot of players that are running out, man, based on a list I looked at. I mean, I'm talking, you're talking Bobby Smith. I'm talking some players that were even from the '60s that J.C. Tremblay from the Canadians, like guys like that who, oh, I, maybe there's unlimited uh, 
you know, nom- nominees. You know, I know just like in baseball, Jack Morris was running out of, uh, you know, chances, you know, that type of thing. So they have a cut point, but maybe the NHL doesn't. And I hope they don't because some of these players, I was looking at this long, our boy Bernie Nichols is even on there. He's never been nominated. We talked about him. <laughs> His gaudy numbers, but you know, guys like that that are still out there. There's a long list of players. I mean, there were seven pages of players that, you know, some of them were were pretty had pretty prominent careers that you could make an argument either way. Right. So I'm wondering if that'll if we, we'll have to talk about that one day because, yeah, I was yeah. I was pretty pretty amazed at the list i can't find anything for nhl if there's a time limit on it so let's say that there isn't until we hear otherwise if anyone out there listening knows leave us a message on our facebook page or if you can find it because i'm not i'm coming up empty here yeah please do i mean that because uh, craig hartsburg there's guys out there that have been waiting a long time and they're they've been retired over 20 years and uh you know it'd be interesting to know so, but that's it, Joe. Those are the snubs I have, and uh, you know, it's a it's a good Hall of Fame class, but I think it maybe could have been better uh, for at least two and maybe the builders uh, category. Sorry, Detroit fans, if you're Kenny Holland uh, worshippers, but I just think I'm still sour on the fact that he overvalued a lot of players in this system, and it's really set this organization back. So, like, I can't forgive. The maybe eight years that he did yeoman's work for that, you know, it's not an even trade-off for me. So, well, all right, there you have it. That's our uh, review of the 2020 Hall of Fame class. Uh, Joe and Tom, we'll see you back here next time on the lighter side.